This is no podcast music. Where's the NPR stuff? Marching band. Come on, man. The Adult in the Room podcast with Victoria Taft. Welcome to the Adult in the Room podcast autonomous zone, where we just purloined some 10 mil visqueen tarping, a little shrink wrap, some choice stolen state highway jersey barriers to set up a world of our own, impermeable to civil behavior, a world whose boundaries are marked by the armed guards to keep out the media, which just goes to show to prove that Chris Rock was right all those years ago when he said, quick, run, it's the media. And a good day to you. Welcome to another fabulous edition of the Adult in the Room podcast with me, Victoria Taft. I am your antidote to stupid. That said, there are the occasional references to the Real Housewives, such as my collection of the Real Housewives of Antifa merchandise, each character coming with his or her, yeah, that's right, his and her, pronouns they like to use with their own tagline. And remember... Each character is based on and inspired by the real-life Antifistanis in the news over the past few years. I've been watching these guys for a while, so I mean, I've been collecting intel on them. The only one I didn't get, but I will get it next time, is I wanted to have the Real uh, Housewives of Antifa feature a woman who wore what was tantamount to a burqa, which is probably how everyone feels now that everyone's wearing masks. Some some of us anyway. And which is to say, I don't like to wear them, but that doesn't mean you can't wear them. And if you tell me I have to wear one in your house or something, I will wear one because I'm just like that. Yes. So each one comes with their own tagline and they're particularly juicy. Okay. Now a couple couple of other juicy and wonderful anti-Antifa merchandise available to you. Go over to victoriataft.com and uh, check them out. Speaking of anti-Antifa, the group is now hitting the ratings hard for this podcast. And so people are going over there. You know, if they don't like a podcast, this is my niece tells me she's a bit of a techie. And so she says, look, if they don't like it, they just won't listen. They're not going to bother to hang around and give you a one. Because most people just don't do that. The guy, I don't like it. Just move on. Move on to the next myriad, next constellation of podcasts out there. So anyway, uh, Antifa is now intentionally hitting the ratings hard for this podcast, going like half or if you can do that, one or something like that. But I would like you to, in each and every episode, please rate it five stars, please, and give it a great rating. And you have to do that on Apple Podcasts. Sure, you like to listen on Anchor or you like to listen on any number of other Spotify, the outlets for your favorite podcast, but the Apple podcast ratings are the ones that actually count. And so I would love for you to do that. Give me a five-star rating. Give me a rave review, even if you hate it. And by the way, subscribe. Subscribe, because that's the only way we can continue to get decent programming, of which I believe this is a part. So there's that. All right. Vote for me several times. I know I have. Okay, that is out of the way. Lots of things to mention before we get to the latest episode of Antifa versus Mike Strickland. Today's app, by the way, that's what the cool people call the podcast, the pods, the app. Um, it has them going to jail today. And I, let me just get me drink of water here. And thing is, uh, I know that that will make Antifa people and leftists very happy. 
if you haven't listened, if you haven't listened to the Antifa versus Mike Strickland podcast episodes in the Victoria Taft Adult in the Room podcast, uh, you'll want to start at episode one. So please, please do it. So again, all you lefties listening, you'll be happy to hear that Mike Strickland goes to jail in this next episode. And uh, that's not his last stint, by the way. Okay, first up in the news, before we get to the Strickland story, hearings on voter fraud this week. And President Trump tweeted out something that I'm sure absolutely sure Twitter will have to come up and contrive some reason to give it a warning. You know, they've been doing to the president of the United States of America. Oh, I don't know. That's that's in dispute. No kidding. Really? Opinions are in dispute. Wow. Who knew? Here's what he tweeted out. Chris Krebs was totally excoriated and proven wrong at the Senate hearing on the fraudulent 2020 election. Massive fraud took place with machines, people voting from out of state, illegals, dead people, no signatures, and so much more. Now, you may not appreciate the hyperbole implicit in this tweet, but you can't deny that a lot of that is correct. Here's the part I mean. I I watched some of those hearings. I didn't see that Chris Krebs was excoriated. Maybe he was by some U.S. senators. I didn't happen to see that part of the testimony proven wrong. Well, he said it was secure. It was not secure from fraud. He later amended his statement to say that when he said that the elections were the most secure in history, that he meant not the usual garden variety fraud stuff. He meant from cybersecurity attacks, which is ironic considering all the stuff that's been going on and attacking all of U.S. uh, mainframes, programs, and several of the U.S. federal government uh, agencies. It's it's frightening. It is absolutely frightening. So it's it's almost as bad. Remember now, remember when China got into the Office of Personnel Management's database and stole everything? everyone's information. Remember that? That was just a few years ago. That was in the Obama administration. That happened. And what that did was all the spooks, the knocks, all the people in who worked uh, black ops and uh, black budgets and all, I mean, whatever, you know, you're, you know what I'm talking about? A bunch of people who work for the government, all of the governmental employees who came under OPM, all that stuff was outed. And then he had to get legends for everybody, new legends for all the spooks. It was, an, it was amazing. And so that's happened before. And we are still reeling from the effects of that hack into OPM. Can you imagine what's going on now? In all of the the Treasury Department, can you imagine what kind of stuff that they could be doing with that information? So, I, I mean, I there's so much I don't know about what the Treasury Department does that I can't even imagine what it would portend for U.S. security. For those of you uh, living and working within your own private autonomous zone about the fraud situation in the U.S. elections, uh you know, you're living there, you got your Visqueen up, you got your Jersey barriers going with no lights, no motor cars, not a single luxury. Like Robinson Crusoe was uh, totally primitive as can be. Uh, there was vote fraud during the 2020 election. We know this. We know this. It was clear. I mean, 
in Nevada alone, there were literally, I think there was 109,000 fake votes. And, you know, and by that, I mean fraudulent votes. There were dead people voting, as usual. There were people who came in from other out of state who voted. There were kids who were too young to vote. This is why I do not appreciate the fact that the Democrats continue to to ballyhoo uh, voter registration for 16 and 17 year olds. You know what? If those kids are that keen on voting, then I know. Why did you wait till they're 18? We know why they don't wait till they're 18 and just leave them the hell alone. It's because they're in school under the auspices of teachers union teachers who will spoon feed them the radical agenda that they want to, them to follow when they are registered to vote. And what do you think they're going to register to vote as if a teacher from the teachers union is uh, encouraging them to register to vote? Which, which, which party do you think they might? Oh yeah, you guessed. That's why they do it. And uh, so they had some underage kids voting. They had a bunch of other people who shouldn't be voting, voting. But you you may know this. Is it widespread? Uh, was there? Uh, yeah, I mean, that sounds to me that that's significant, considering the small differences between the two candidates for president in the, the vote, ultimate vote count. Hell yeah. I mean, what was it? Donald Trump won the presidency by, you know, because of a con- couple of congressional districts by like 10,000 10, votes. It makes a difference. Every vote counts, but every vote doesn't count if there are fraudulent votes in the final tally. You know that's true. You know that's true. So there was vote fraud. Now, do I think aliens beam down to signal uh, to voting machines rendering uh, triple-like reproductions of votes? I don't think so. Uh, but but here's what keeps me up at night. Okay, here's what keeps me up at night. Is that um, is it that Donald Trump is full of hypersonic uh, hyperbole and alliteration? Is that true? No, that does not keep me up at night. That is baked in the cake. I already knew that guy was a blowhard when I voted for him. What keeps me up at night is that despite his big talk, which we have all factored in to his persona and speechification, except Democrats in the press, which is most of them who take him literally, is that most, if not all the big stuff Trump has complained about against the Dem, Dems have been true. Stay with me. There's some, oh, I can't, I, Victoria, drinking the Trump Kool-Aid. Huh, I'm just looking at the facts, Jack. I do have a way of looking at this stuff. I like lists, for example. I made one concerning all the whoppers that the Democrats and their special forces air wing in the media have been telling on behalf of the Democrats. Yeah, here's my list. And I and I may have shared a little bit with you earlier. Yeah, thank you. I just had to have more drinks. No, it's nothing exciting. Um, it was a story I did for PJ Media, and it's called Here Are Ten... Uh, Just 10 of the wild conspiracy theories the left and media have tarred Trump with for more than four years. Number one. Where's my number? Oh, Trump is a Russian spy. They continually trotted that out and continue to do so to today, even though 
The IG's report and the Mueller report say that there was no Russian collusion. None. Zero in the 2016 election between Trump and the Russians. Do you know there was collusion, however? And of course, that was between Hillary and the Russians. She, now, if you have never heard this, you really need to listen to this podcast. Hillary Clinton derived the information for the Steele dossier from Russian spooks who later recanted, by the way, when it was actually checked out, when finally someone went and talked to, what was it, Subsource B or whoever it was? Yeah, well, we were just, that was just uh, us talking, you know, drunk talk in the bar. Well, no kidding. You read the, you read the Steele dossier? A, a lot of it sounds like drunk talk in a bar. So Trump is a Russian spy. That was the real whopper. And, you know, of course, Eric Swalwell, entirely new appreciation for his last name after the latest thing with Fang Fang. Um, So Eric Swalwell, you've got him out there talking about Trump as a Russian spy. Uh, You've got Adam Schiff out there talking about how Trump is a Russian spy and he has direct evidence. And remember, he never he never once produced any evidence and yet continually was invited on all of the left-wing talk shows to provide said evidence and just mm, gosh you know i i think i must have left it in my locker at school couldn't find it because there wasn't any zero number two trump colluded with the russians to win the white house and of course that goes into uh all of the lies told by Eric Swalwell and uh, Congressman Adam Schiff, as well as all the uh, folks in the Democratic Party who said that, oh, yeah, remember all that, all of it helped Trump. Remember, oh, gosh, you know, there's huge hacks into the voting apparatus. Never happened. Never happened. Ever. It was reported over and over and over, but that was never amplified by the media. Why? Because it makes chaos and confusion make it so much more easy to manipulate your voters. And people accuse Trump of that. I imagine there's some truth to that. But I tell you what, it's happening on both sides. Certainly in this case, and the uh, Trump collusion thing, which wasn't happening. Yeah. You know, it, it is amazing to me. Tr- you know, people say, well, play, you know, Trump plays three or four dimensional chess and he's so smart and he can see around the corners and stuff like that. Yeah, I suppose he can in the business world. In the political world, I think he uh, didn't see so well. And I think he was shocked. I would love to, when he finally writes his memoirs, I would love to find out how incredibly he shocked he was at the collusion, if you will, and absolute corruption on the part of U.S. officials involved during his tenure. I'm not even done yet. This is Emily number three. Trump was not legally elected and he never plans to leave office. Remember that one? He's going to run. He's going to be president for 12 years. Yep. He's going to be president for 12 years. Yep. And uh, they use that to... um, Jerry Nadler said that. The resistance said that. House Judiciary Committee members said that. He was not a legitimate president, they said. Hillary Clinton said he was not a legitimate president. And now they're all in a high dungeon about the fact that Trump is saying, hold the phone here, man. This There is some 
effed up, you know, what going on in this doggone election. And I don't think that we ought to just turn the page before we find out what what's happening. You know, I will say one thing, just going back to the whole fraud thing. If we don't push this now, at the point at which we have, I say we, because I happen to believe that there is a lot of fraud and that we do need to get rid of mail-in balloting and that sort of thing, at least wholesale mail-in balloting without any verification, that happened in several states. Well, let's just send out a bunch of ballots. Let's see what happens. <laughs> that happened. I'm laughing for because I can't. If I don't, I'll cry. So you got to agitate for it now. This is the best negotiating position now. He's not leaving until they figure it out. Well, he'll leave January 20th. If they haven't sorted this out or the U.S. Supreme Court hasn't granted cert on another appeal, uh, which I'll get to in just a moment because uh, Mark Levin had a series of tweets uh, this week that were pretty spot on and, and gives the argument for why the Supreme Court should have granted cert, granted a hearing to the Trump campaign and all the other 18 states that were involved in the lawsuit with Texas. And so, uh, anyway, get to that in just a second. Number four, uh, Trump told Putin to hack Hillary's email to win the election. That's a lie. It was a joke. Hey, if you know where Hillary Clinton's 30,000 emails are. Now, the Democrats used this to high effect because what they did was they sort of implied that there was some hacking done in Hillary's own server. And indeed, she probably was hacked by the Chinese and by every other first world apparatus, uh, intelligence apparatus in all the other different countries that have the capability because she had an unsecured server. They want you to conflate that with the hack at the DNC. Remember when her campaign chair, John Podesta, clicked on a phishing email thing and allowed in a Trojan horse uh, malware program? He did that because he's an idiot. He did that. They tried that at the, the RNC as well. They didn't click on it. There's your sign. Anyway, so they wanted to conflate that to suggest that Russia did it. Indeed, the uh, WikiLeaks and or the DC Leaks people got a hold of those uh, the Podesta emails and the DNC emails, which showed uh, the, 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 quite interestingly, remember this, that Debbie Wasserman Schultz was actually agitating for and setting the table for Hillary Clinton and doing everything she could to sandbag Bernie Sanders in the 2016 election. So that's why she had to leave during the convention. Here's number six. Trump sent his attorney to Prague to meet with Kremlin officials. That was trotted out in the Steele dossier. There was a Prague meeting. There was a Prague. Michael Cohen, there was a Prague meeting. Michael Cohen never went to Prague. That was the, the easiest thing to verify in the Steele dossier. And he never went to Prague. Even hotshot attorneys for Donald Trump before he was president actually have to have their visa and their uh, passport stamped. They got to get a visa and get a passport. He didn't have anything. So he never went. The the media went with it. MSNBC all over. Oh, Michael Cohen went to Prague. Even after he became, uh, shall we say, disassociated with President Trump, Michael Cohen goes, I, I never went to Prague. I, don't, I mean, I don't even know what you people are talking about. 
Trump called white supremacists very fine people. That one's still roiling around. I'm sure it'll make it into 5,000 books told by White House uh, correspondents who never did any homework uh, in, when they are done with the Trump presidency. And um, that was that never happened. Here's what he said. Here's the direct quote. I had to get. And, and once again, this is in a PJ Media article I did. Um, Never underestimate the media's penchant for believing anything negative about President Trump. President Trump never called the Charlottesville neo-Nazis marching in the streets very fine people. He was referring to both sides arguing. Remember, the both sides have good people. He was referring to the people who who were in conflict over the Confederate statues. Now, you may not believe that Confederate statues should stand, which makes you part of the American secular Taliban. Because it is part of history. I mean, it's not something we're proud of, but I think you could actually look at a Confederate statue and say, we've overcome this. And gee, we don't do that anymore. The only first world nation in the first country to do so. It was Britain first. This nation was set up to get rid of it. Ah, Go ahead and argue with me. Send me a hateful letter. It's true. Anyway, President Trump never called the Charlottesville neo-Nazis very fine people. Here's the quote from a USA Today fact check. I always put fact in quotation marks because I don't believe anybody does fact checks. Excuse me, excuse me. They didn't put themselves, and you had some very bad people in that group, but you also had some people that were very fine people on both sides. You're changing history. You're changing culture. You had people, and I'm not talking about the neo-Nazis and the white nationalists, because they should be condemned totally. But you had many people in that group other than neo-Nazis and white journalists, nationalists. White journalists. <laughs> Joe Biden claimed that this statement, which he never made, is the reason he got into the presidential race. Okay, Joe. And Chris Wallace twice asked President Trump, Donald Trump, to denounce white supremacism, which he's done on numerous occasions, and twice for Chris, uh, uh, what's his case, Uh, Chris Wallace on Fox, twice. So Chris just forgot. 2016, please denounce white supremacy. Go. I denounce white supremacy. Please denounce white supremacy. 2020. I denounce white supremacy. Okay. They never believe. They don't want to believe him. They just. Before Donald Trump was president. Remember, he was a baller. He was like the billionaire playboy. Businessman from New York. Manhattan's fun guy. Loved his country. Clearly, you could see that. Peppering his entire life. But. He was a he was a playboy. He 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 uh, had a model on his arm. Nothing wrong with that, Fang Fang. Um, nothing wrong with that, Melania Trump, the most beautiful and collected first lady ever. Anyway, then all of a sudden he was believed to be a liberal, and, and then all of a sudden he announces for the presidency, and and he's uh, now he's a racist and uh, fascist. Sure. I used to, you know, five minutes ago, I was hanging out with the rappers, but oh, oh okay, sure. <sighs> really? Uh, number eight, Trump told people to drink ble- bleach to get rid of coronavirus. Remember that one? He told pe- he did not tell people to drink bleach. 
I was watching that day and I went, what the hell are these people talking about? It was just, it was just a, it was a really a, a kind of a cool moment for the president. It was a humbling moment, a, a moment of humility for President Trump at this coronavirus update. Remember those? This is in July. There was a discussion of an out-of-the-box out of use of ultraviolet or just powerful light, said the president, in therapies. He said, then I, I see disinfectant where it knocks out it out in one minute. And is there something you can do, something like that, by injection inside or almost a cleaning? Because you, you see it gets in the lungs and it does tremendous number on the lungs. So it would be interesting to check that. So if you're going to have us use medical doctors, it, that's something like that sounds really interesting to me. So, so we'll see. But the whole concept of light, the way it kills it in a minute, that's pretty powerful. And of course, everybody was trotting out all their gadgetry to kill uh, coronavirus in planes, on phones, everywhere. And the president was going, is there some way to do that inside the body? He did not tell people to drink bleach. And in fact, as I said, in front of specialists surrounding him, who may have thought it was the lunacy to even bring it up and talk about it the, the way in which he did sort of an ad hoc convo, they, they go, you know, well, you know, we're working on something like that. You know, with the hydroxychloroquine that the media immediately denounced as poison or something that wouldn't work. Now, of course, the CDC is saying, you know, that hydroxychloroquine thing, that, you know, that, 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 that's, that's good stuff. It's so hyper-politicized. The guy is so despised. They cannot, you know, they talk about country over party. How about country over party? How about that? How about if you judge what he's doing vis-a-vis how you're feeling? And what your party affiliation is. How about that? You know, that's one of the reasons why I appreciate at least that Trump's fighting uh, about the uh, ballot fraud that that actually happened. The stuff that actually happened in the 2020 election. He's in this best negotiating spot ever right now. He's not going to give it up. The art of the deal. Okay, so maybe Joe did win. Here's how I'm going to work this for the American people. And I'm going to get some answers on this ballot fraud for the American people. That's what he is doing. You may think it's all about him. Maybe, I'm sure some of it is. But how about um, this, the rest of it? Anyway, continuing here, number nine, Trump initiatives had nothing to do with COVID vaccines. Immediately after Pfizer announced that it was days away from introducing its coronavirus vaccine, you had people coming out of the woodwork in the mainstream media saying it had absolutely nothing to do with President Trump's Project Warp Speed. It's just, just shut up. You people are just actually big clowning yourselves. Come on. Of course it did. Of course it did. They got, they got $2 billion from the United States government. Oh, sure, it had nothing to do with that. That's just an entire R&D budget. Hello? Hello? This thing on? All right. And finally, number 10, of which of many, Trump initially, oh, I already said that one. Trump uh, was not spied on, and he's crazy for thinking he was spied on, being spied on. Yeah. January 5th, 2017, meeting in the Oval Office with Obama. Joe Biden was there. Susan Rice was there, who's going to be, what is she going to be now? HHS? Sec- no, that's somebody else. Uh, oh, domestic policy. 
person who has never worked in domestic policy, but who cares? She'll do anything Joe wants, so what the hell? She went on five talk shows on one Sunday and lied about a, a film uh, that uh, she said claims, uh, she claimed that it was responsible for the Benghazi attack. Sure it was. Mm-hmm. They put a guy in jail for making the video that no one had ever seen. There's actually some evidence that maybe, remember when Zawahiri's brother was out and the out in front of the Egyptian U.S. Um, embassy. I think it was the U.S. embassy in uh, Cairo, and he's out there and he's he's got his thugs out there, and they're all getting riled up and stuff like that. That was possibly some reaction to that. But Zawahiri's brother's going to be out there anyway. I mean, they just used it as a not so convenient excuse. I mean, they had to. They actually had to say, hey, "Here, <laughs> here's." <laughs> Oh, God. Over here. Here's the video you're supposed to be offended by. <laughs> and then, well, here, we're going to put a guy in jail. Here he is. They, they deprived a man of his liberty to make the point that something else besides ineptitude and a desire to sell weapons into, was it, uh, Syria, uh, caused Benghazi. It's just ridiculous. Anyway, there's so much. Many more of those, many more of those. You remember when uh, Trump was, uh, he was crazy? Remember that one? He was crazy. And they're going to go get him on the 25th Amendment? Yeah, sure. Yes, he was spied on. Remember Biden's supporters? He was at the January 5th meeting, Biden was, with all those guys plotting the way in which they were going to get National Security Advisor General Michael Flynn at the very beginning of the um, crossfire hurricane investigation. They were plotting against him because they were plotting against the Trump campaign. Ah, no, Trump was not given an opportunity to govern because of the resistance, not just by the media, not by Hillary Clinton, who's declared herself to be the head of the resistance and the DNC and all the rest of the flying monkeys over there, but by entire swaths of federal government workers. Remember, remember, because I was chronicling these for IJR when I was working for those guys. There were enti- like EPA officials, other the Treasury officials, all these other people who created the social media uh, sites, or not sites, but you know, accounts, saying that they were going to call out the president. People working, working in the government, who were part of the resistance. We're part of the resistance. We're going to get them. Anyway, so as we possibly could close on... Uh, uh, well, let me let me do this. I've got another list for you, but let me just do this because I have a list of the Trump um, uh, things that he's done right, his successes that people don't say enough about. I I honestly think, and I and I know people will laugh at me for saying this. I believe that Donald Trump will go down as one of the greatest presidents in the United States history. I know you're going to say, "Oh, I can't believe it." I said the same thing. I, I said I didn't like Ronald Reagan at first either. And um, then I saw what he did and I saw how he led. I would say that Ronald Reagan was a better leader, per se, than Donald Trump is. Donald Trump um, relies too much on um, oh, personal animus and um, ad hominem. 
Uh, but it's effective in some cases. Uh, some people be- have become impervious to it because it's just used. You can use it too much. Nevertheless, I believe he is. And I think that his stance for election security, if you will, is is the hill to die on, as Mark Stein has continually said. If you're not going to die on a hill for your country, then you're useless. If there's one thing that you need to take a stand on, one man, one vote is the hill to die on. You just have to decide how you're going to do it. But Mark's, uh, Mike, Mark uh, Levin on his Twitter site had a had a list of tweets in which he talks about the federal judiciary, because as I pointed out earlier, the Texas case was not taken up by the U.S. Supreme Court, which I believe it should have, because obviously we're talking about we're talking about constitutional issues. And if they are the court of last resort, which they are, to which states can go, then why the hell didn't they take the case? Mark Levin says the election exposed the complete collapse of the judiciary as a check on unconstitutional acts by state officials eviscerating legislative authority under our federal constitution. And he cites Article 2, Section 1, Clause 2. It has also exposed the Supreme Court as a highly political, result-oriented liberal body that grants standing when it wants to rule on a case, such as Mass versus EPA, and denies standing when it wants to duck the case, Texas versus Pennsylvania et al. Interesting. That the court relentlessly in state election processes almost exclusively in support of left-wing activists and Democrat organizations that seek to weaken election security and fraud. The court and inferior federal and state courts have earned the contempt of tens of millions of Americans, while the media Democrats, Never Trumpers, and others have celebrated the denial of substantive court proceedings to scores of petitioners raising fundamental federal and state constitutional issues, not to mention serious questions of fraud in states including, but not limited to, Wisconsin and Georgia. These courts have disgraced themselves, Mark Levin says, and severely damaged the electoral process. In effect, they have served as the Praetorian Guard for the planned, elaborate, and unlawful acts of the Democrat Party, its lawyers, and their state public office holders throughout the battleground states, despite the media claiming that six of the justices are conservative and Chuck Schumer's propaganda about his desire to pack the court because it is supposedly too conservative, the fact is the opposite. When the court actually upholds the Constitution, it is, more often than not, the exception to the rule, which for the court is activism with few limits. Now, those are some, he's a constitutional expert. I am not, this is why I'm reading it. But it makes a lot of sense. Denied standing. Well, wait, hold the phone here. It's a constitutional issue. 18 states are bringing this lawsuit. It's a constitutional issue based upon the most fundamental and sacred right of a person as a citizen of this country. And they say, yeah, nah, I don't think so. That's because of John. Uh, John Roberts didn't want to take it, just like he didn't want to take it the first time, which is why he kicked it back to the Pennsylvania Supreme Court. That was his first, mis- it was his first mistake. It was unlawful then. Anyway, let's see. Hmm. Ah, My list. These all the, not all the things, because oh, God knows I've, I'm sure I've missed some whoppers, some really good ones. 
Uh, this list was made before the Pfizer vaccine. It is a list of some of the accomplishments, the major accomplishments by Donald Trump. Despite the fact, as Bill Barr pointed out in his resignation letter, that he had so many people working against him. Deregulation and tax cuts acted like rocket fuel to launch the economy into seldom seen heights. In fact, unseen before heights, certainly after 2008. Unemployment was the lowest for minorities since the country started keeping track. This is, of course, before COVID. Total U.S. unemployment was the lowest in 50 years under Trump. Labor participation has been the highest in years. The U.S. ceased to be dependent on Middle Eastern oil and became a net exporter of energy for the first time in 75 years. Remember when the left wanted that as one of their goals? Remember that? <clears throat> oh, we have to get rid of uh, Middle Eastern oil, get out of these endless wars. Well, guess what? Donald Trump didn't start a war and he got us out of whatever entanglements that we have. Not that I agree on all of that because I don't. But he, he said he was going to do it and he has done it. And then he made us a net energy exporter for the first time in 75 years. And the left stands by and go, well, you know, anybody could have done that. No, no, no. You had to approve fracking in order to do that. Ay, Chihuahua. Trump slowed China's funny money currency manipulations in a historic trade agreement, renegotiated the job-killing NAFTA trade deal, got the American public out of the job-killing Trans-Pacific Partnership Agreement, not a treaty, and got us out of the Paris Climate Accord, not a treaty. They just got out of that, by the way. It took two and a half years to get out of that thing. Maybe it was three years. It was just ridiculous. It takes, you to, it takes you longer to get out of it than it did you get into it. Uh, oh, yeah. The um, Abraham Accords, peace in the Middle East. They did it in a totally out-of-the-box way. They said, okay, we're not going to go through the PLO and the Palestinian Authority. We're just not going to do that. We're going to go around to everybody else. And we're going to take a little bite here and a little bite here and a little bite there. And we're going to make agreements between these two countries, these two Muslim countries, this Muslim country and the, uh, the um, uh, Israel. And we're going to just make deal after deal after deal, which allows people to land on their property. Remember, I think they're going to get Saudi Arabia is going to come around and Saudi Arabia is going to let El Al jets land in Saudi Arabia. When, has anyone ever done that before? The answer is no. This is going to go down in history as one of the epic, finest moments in uh, U.S. leadership. Because, you know, you know, you get to the point where you just go, you know, you start involving the PLO or, I'm sorry, Palestinian Authority, and it's just a, it's a non-starter. Well, you know, they've never agreed to any, any um, deal. Oh, we'll give you all the land back. You want Israel back? Oh, great. Okay. No, we will not take Israel back. <laughs> it's just... Uh, enacted criminal justice reform, started no wars, stopped the physical caliphate asserted by ISIS, stopped it, killed a bunch of those bastards, killed the head of ISIS, moved the U.S. Embassy to Jerusalem, began building the border wall, not enough of it, but he began building it, invoked the Defense Production Act to replenish the supply, the spent supply of PPE and ventilators because the Obama administration spent and never filled back up the strategic supply 
of uh, equipment to fight off the pandemic. Have I been talking this long? Shoot. I got too much. You know, I used to have a four-hour show. Sometimes it was a three. Then it was the, then it was a four. Sometimes it was two. It just depended on where I was and uh, day part I was uh, talking in. And now, now you know why. Now you know why. I could just talk forever. You know, take be oh, take phone calls, Victoria. Uh, why? I've got so much to say. <laughs> I mean, phone calls are fun, though. I, I will say this. I do like getting mail. So you can hit me up at Victoria at VictoriaTaft.com. Um, I was going to get into the activists work to block journalists from full accurate coverage of occupation outside the Red House in North Portland. Uh, this is an Oregonian article. I did a take of it um, for PJ Media, and it made me laugh because, of course, the Antifa versus Mike Strickland story is all about the fact that a, a journalist videographer was not allowed to do his job at a protest. And instead, what did they do? They attacked him and he pulled a gun and held them off. Never fired a shot, but the presence of a gun stopped everybody in their tracks. That's called self-defense. Any hoozle. Uh, so anyway, so at the Red House Autonomous Zone, the RAS in Portland, the armed Antifa guards refused to let in to cover said Raz Autonomous Zone, journalists from the mainstream media in Portland. And they're going, well, wait a minute, we have a First Amendment right to do this. And they're all in high dudgeon about it. Well, of course, they have every right to be. They have a First Amendment right to be able to cover news, especially that which is happening in public. Imagine that. And they brought that up in, a, in an Oregonian article. And so I did a piece at PJ Media and it talks about their assertions of rights to cover protests and brought in not just Mike Strickland, but Andy No, who is also from Portland, who is also beaten for his efforts and the fact that they didn't like him. And in fact, continue to this day to issue death threats against him. Where is the love for these two? Yeah. Anyway, I made an eye opening mistake of commenting, which I never do, on a story on the Washington Post uh, Facebook page. And it was a story about how BLM, Black Lives Matter, is upset because someone tore down their sign in Washington, D.C. over the weekend when they were busy beating up all these uh, right-wing people who came to town to hold a free speech rally. They always held the free speech rallies. And you know what? who comes to shut them down? Antifa and, and BLM. You know, if, if they don't start anything, there's never any violence. Don't start nothing, won't be nothing. But nevertheless, of course, there was violence anyway. Ultimately, BLM got their sign taken down. And so they're all, they're, they're very upset about this. And uh, so the Washington Post does a story about the sign being taken down. Oh my gosh, the sign's been taken down. So I comment, it's a very short comment, it's like, maybe two sentences. I go, oh, okay, so uh, BLM, Antifa can burn down a church, or at least, you know, the, the president's church. They can assault individuals, commit acts of vandalism, and do all kinds of things around the country, loot, uh, commit acts of arson, etc. And you're worried about 
a sign being torn down? I have no idea who did it. Probably Proud Boys. Who knows? I mean, I, I don't know. Maybe they didn't. Maybe they did it themselves, as so often happens, and then blamed it on somebody else. But nevertheless, so I made the mistake of commenting like that. And like I say, it was a very short comment. So here's some of the reaction, some of the reaction I got. You think that the Washington Post readers are so smart, don't you? You just do, don't you? Well, Christians are like, why did the why did you punch the other kid's face? He punched me first. What you you're supposed to offer the other cheek, but also Christians, but but they burn my church first. I mean, no, it doesn't make any sense. It's the turn the other cheek thing. You always love the fact that the left goes right to the Bible and then starts taking things out of context. Oh, okay. I mean, turn the other cheek fine when you've been wronged. I get that. Uh, but that's that was sort of wholly beside the point, and it wasn't the point of my comment. Uh, do you know what Antifa means, wrote Cecilia Garcia Bosley? Education will free you from vile, vindictive hatred. I was called a hater and vile and vindictive for writing that obvious, objectively truthful comment. Uh Let's see. Uh-huh. Obviously, you only watch Fox News, Victoria. Try reading a real newspaper. <laughs> and somebody says, oh, she's an OAN hack. Just point and laugh. Yes, I do appear on One American News. Uh, oh, yeah. One guy, one guy, one guy was in support. The Washington commie compost is liberal. The liberal wussies Pravda propaganda, propaganda fairy tale news. These genius-level IQ morons actually believe Beijing Biden won the election. As Forrest Gump said, stupid is as stupid does. Oh, and then another one. They always go to ad hominem because they think they're going to hurt my feelings. Uh, let me just say something. Do you know how many times I've called, I've been said to look like a man by somebody who hates me just because of what I write? You look like a man. <laughs> Dude, I've heard it so many times. What are you going to do? They just, oh, oh, okay. Wow, you hurt me. You cut me to the quick. I'm going to stop doing what I'm doing. Uh, hell no. From Ken, a man, another blurry profile picture. It's like conservatives live in a time before megapixels. Uh, he's complaining about my, my photo because he thinks I'm trying to uh, blur it, which I'm not. It probably was one of the crappy copies, whatever. Mm, mm, mm. There you go. And I've gotten hundreds of comments in response to my comment. It's as if they've never heard it before. It is. It's just like those people, they need to listen to my podcast. They're probably over there right now giving me a one star, which means, of course, you have to give me a five star just to balance them out and do it on every episode. Thank you. Okay, coming up in just a sec. Antifa versus Mike Strickland on the Adult in the Room podcast with Victoria Taft. After the mob of Antifa and Black Lives Matter activists converged on Mike Strickland at the July 7th, 2016 protest for a second time, Mike Strickland backed away from the crowd and up the street. He stopped to tell a local TV news crew from KGW what had just happened. After a half-hour rally, they take their message to the Justice Center. They call for the police chief to come down and address protesters. Then, a dangerous confrontation. 
one protester pulls a gun on another. Several people race in to keep the peace. Eventually, cops in riot gear move in and make an arrest, but not before the suspect talked to us. I, I was just surrounded and pushed and shoved by about 10 or a dozen people. They start shoving me. They're holding their, their, uh, their flag staffs as weapons towards me. So that's why I pulled it. After the arrest, the protest continued. The crowd, hoping their message is heard loud and clear. You know what's going on in the world? Black Lives Matter. And there are black people getting killed in these streets. So we have to take it to the streets. The protest went on into the night where protesters tried to take over a Portland bridge and had a standoff with riot cops for at least an hour as the police held them off. While the protest continued, Strickland would be hauled off in handcuffs by riot cops. As you heard, the news crew wrongly assumed he was a protester, though he held his camera and the tools of his trade. That characterization would come back to play a role in the media's treatment of the videographer. He wouldn't be treated like media by them. He would become a counter-protester. Those words and that slack attitude by media about a person exercising his First Amendment press rights being attacked by Antifa would come back to haunt them in 2020. Strickland was held without charges for hours. About midnight, he was charged with two misdemeanors, but it would be another four and a half hours before he was released on his own recognizance and told to come back at two o'clock that afternoon for his arraignment. That's where the first of three surprises by Portland prosecutors seen in this case awaited him. The Oregonian reported in a story headlined, Man accused of pulling gun on Portland protesters was armed with multiple magazines of ammo, prosecutor says. The charges against Strickland now included two felonies. The original charges were misdemeanors, menacing and second-degree disorderly conduct. The felony counts of unlawful use of a firearm were added to misdemeanor allegations of menacing and second-degree disorderly conduct. His victim, or victims, weren't names. They would become victims to be named later. Prosecutor Kate Molina demanded $250,000 bail. That was higher than most violent crimes. The Oregonian reported that one of Strickland's attorneys, Chris Trotter, said he'd never heard of such a high bail for a defendant with no past criminal record. Trotter accused the district attorney's office of making an example of his client in front of a courtroom with media and news cameras and amid the climate of heightened sensitivity to guns. Molina took umbrage and told him so, according to the Oregonian. So what supported the new charges and the high bail? The prosecutor, who takes an oath to tell the truth, represented to the judge that Strickland had issued a, quote, possible racist threat against someone. She intimated without providing proof that the libertarian videographer was some kind of white supremacist. She told the judge Given that Mr. Strickland pulled a gun on a crowd of people in front of the steps of the Justice Center while heavily armed and has a past police report alleging possibly race-based threats against an attendee at the Portland Vigil for the victims of last month's nightclub shooting in Orlando, Florida, the heightened bail is justified, Molina responded. Strickland described his shock in a 2018 interview with me. 
I, I was initially charged with uh, two misdemeanors, one of disorderly conduct and one count of menacing. I was released on my own recognizance at 4.26 a.m., I believe. Um, yeah, it would have been July 8th, sort of the early morning after it all happened. Um, with orders to show up at 2 o'clock that afternoon for the arraignment. So I show up there. And uh, and then we're told that um, Kate Molina, the the DA, that she's going to now file two felonies and a motion to raise my bail to $250,000. And so we get in front of the judge with all the TV cameras rolling, you know, people from OPB and the Oregonian are running their audio recorders and whatnot. Kate Molina pulls out this false police report that I didn't even know existed from um, John Slaughter. Now, I barely know who John Slaughter is. You know, my only real interaction that I can recall with him was a few weeks prior at the uh, vigil for the Orlando nightclub uh, shooting victims. Um, there, similar situation. I'm, I'm just there filming, you know, um, you know, and a bunch of people decided to get in my face. They weren't nearly as threatening or a physical threat as what Carenza and the others were on July 8th. But, you know, there were still people getting in my face, screaming and yelling at me, um, Slaughter being one of them. And so um, during the days after that interaction, uh, John Slaughter files this police report claiming that I am sending him these threatening and race-based text messages and voicemails, uh, which, of course, I don't do. I I barely know who this guy is. You know, why would I go out of my way to do that? did you have his phone number? Oh, wait. He gave you his phone number. He screamed his phone number into my camera at, at, this, uh, at this thing where he decided to get into my face. We told you in episode four that what happened at the Orlando protest and vigil was the turning point in the Strickland saga. Indeed, it was the turning point in how Antifa as a whole treats people taking their pictures, the media, It's when Antifa and Portland professional protesters, as I call them, decided to attack the messengers. John Slaughter, whose voice you heard in the KGW report at the July 7th protest earlier in this report, was also the voice you heard at the Orlando nightclub shooting vigil video at Strickland's Laughing at Liberals YouTube channel. He was one of the activists who supposedly came to mourn, but instead decided to mob Strickland. Listen. I have no idea what's going on. You're not welcome here. You're not welcome here. You're not welcome here. You're not welcome here. What? I don't know what you guys are talking about. Don't come towards me, man. You're not welcome here, man. What do you mean not welcome here? My name is Michael. Hi. I'd like to chat with you guys. I don't know what's going on here. I don't know what's going on here. So you're not doing no no no, no. Okay, hey, 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 hey don't touch my camera don't touch my camera you can tell him you can feel me John Slaughter PCC I'm the girls head coach turn your camera off you're an anarchist you it'd be best if you leave yep 503-752 Strickland would have to pay for playing all of John Slaughter's phone number that Slaughter himself had uttered on film Slaughter doxed himself Strickland didn't have to help him do it, though, and put it on his YouTube channel. But obviously, Slaughter wasn't fretting over it until he did. 
He filed a police report at some point that was never acted upon until there were cameras, lights, media attention in a courtroom on July 8th. Strickland told me in 2018 that if there were threats to John Slaughter, they didn't come from him. So it may very well have been the case that that certain people were sending him things. I certainly wasn't. I don't do that sort of thing. And, you know, I, I, I got plenty of other things to do in my life. You know, I don't have time to, to, to mess with such, uh, you know, such infantile and sophomoric things. Um, but John Slaughter was even claiming that I had driven by his house in the passenger seat of like this old brown pickup truck with my hand in the shape of a gun towards him. You know, completely untrue. You know, if someone did that, it certainly was not me. Again, I got better things to do with my time than that. Um, In fact, on the evening that he's claiming this happened, um, I was at home caring for not one but two cats that needed medical attention. Uh, One was, uh, one had a stroke a couple weeks prior and uh, was working on regaining his his motor skills and, and whatnot. The other was the uh, neighborhood stray cat who had uh, hurt his uh, his arm or front leg, depending on what you want to call it. And uh, I needed to keep him inside all week on pain medication while he healed. And so I was leaving my house as little as possible that week. Molina never offered proof nor ever pursued Slaughter's allegation that Strickland had in any way made threatening phone calls. She just served it up like a hanging curveball, and the media, activists, and the regular Joes in Portland took a big fat bat and swung. So um, now let's flash forward back here to uh, July 8th, where I show up for my arraignment. Kate Molina pulls out this police report that I didn't even know existed. I was never informed of this. The officer who took this report never contacted me. Nobody ever asked for my take of it. She pulls out this report, and in front of the judge is claiming that I was doing these things, claiming that I have ties to all these white supremacist groups, that, that you know, that, 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 that I was the one threatening and harassing people at the uh, nightclub uh, vigil. And so she uses this phony information to essentially lie to Judge Leslie Bottomley to justify tossing me into jail and raising my bail to $250,000. The unsubstantiated claim of possible race-based threats were all the Portland media and citizens needed to hear. Strickland was a racist bigot, of course. The Multnomah County DA's office said so. They must have proof to say that. He needed to get got. He was guilty of something, obviously. After that stink bomb was laid in court, four deputies came and cuffed Strickland and took him to jail. You get your cell, which is, you know, half the size of, you know, what would be a normal bedroom. That's one person per cell. Um, Not much in there. You know, you got a toilet, a sink, uh, a built-in water fountain thing. Um, You got this sort of bench on the wall slash shelf that you can sit on. Um, You can set your bunk up either on the top level along the window or on the bottom level if you want it darker. Um, The mattress is like what would be out of of an old crappy RV. (laughs) Um, You get a few sheets and a burlap cover (laughs) and a tiny little pillow. Um, Your cell is subject to be searched uh, whenever whenever they want to. Um, You are locked in the cell. Um, Any personal effects you were given? 
allowed to have? Yeah, so they give you a, a hygiene kit, as they call it, uh, when you first get booked in there. Um, it's got a, a little bottle of shampoo, a little thing of really bad roll-on deodorant, uh, crappy little flexible pen. They make them flexible so you can't stab anyone with it. Um, a little notepad. Um, a half-size toothbrush. Uh, that's got like a little spoon thing on one end and that's what you have to use to, to get a grip on. Um, a small like travel size tube of toothpaste if I recall. Maybe one or two other things in there but that's that's really uh, what I can recall being in it. The food was awful, really bad. There's a hack for uh, most of the bad food though and that is these uh, Scorch Nanny's uh, cactus chips or Cactus Annie's Scorching Chips or something. So um, you get a bag of, of those. You can order them from commissary. And um, you smash it all up so that it's real tiny. And you use that as seasoning on the uh, potatoes and gravy. <laughs> that sounds horrible. Yeah. <laughs> Not as horrible, apparently, as the potatoes yeah, and gravy. Yeah, it makes it less horrible. Um, my particular favorite was chunk of meat, which is just like a hamburger patty. <laughs> Because it was filling. Um, you know, uh, I was put in a good behavior block. So regardless of what you had done, if you're, you know, if you're on good behavior, then you go and you're in there. So you're with other guys who are in there. They're not causing trouble. Yeah, they, they did what they did. But, um, you know, they're not there starting fights with people or acting out of hand. The prosecutor told the world that Strickland was somehow a white nationalist and a bigot who'd made racist threats and then sent him to jail. He was in jail for 11 days after the new charges were filed. He tried to figure out how he could possibly come up with bail money. When somebody says to you, what are you in for? What do you tell them? Well, most people have actually seen it in the, on the news because they do have TVs in there. Um, so a, a lot of people, some people recognize me. Other people, when I started to tell the story... Then they remembered seeing it on the news and whatnot. So what the guys in guys in there say to you? I mean, like, what are you doing in here? Yeah, that 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 was a lot of it. Actually, was you know, you know what are you doing here? You know, it's clear that your actions were in self defense. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you don't belong in here with the rest of us. You know, um, you know, because a lot of those guys have been in and out of the system, you know, for, for several years. Um, so, so those guys could tell that, you know, I was, you know, not, not, not like a lot of the other guys in there, you know, some people were joking around about it. Like, you know, you know, so during walk time, as they call it, that's when we get out of the cell and we're allowed to roam around in the block area there. Um, you know, some guys would exercise, some guys would just watch TV. Um, some guys would just chat with others. Some guys would lead, uh, Bible study things. Um, Some guys would be in there playing chess and checkers, you know. Um, so, you know, some guys would come up, and as a joke, they'd harass me. Oh, there's that guy who's going to gun down all the black people. I'm like, what? They <laughs> said that? Yeah, and then they, they're just laughing about it. It's a joke. Even the black dudes are in there laughing about it, you know. Um, you know, everybody got, got along in there. There was no um, racial tension or animosity. Um you know, there were people of all different races in, in my block. I think there were 32 uh, cells. Everybody got along. The Antifa frame-up was working. But more surprises awaited Strickland and his attorneys. Next time 
on Mike Strickland versus Antifa, The Trial on the Adult in the Room podcast. This week's episode of the Adult in the Room podcast with Victoria Taft is brought to you by victoriataft.com and our Antifa action figures. Just in time for your Christmas buying season, there's Radar from Soy Stream News, Miss Warlord, and our special collection of the real housewives of Antifa, Batgirl, the Antifa camp counselors, and much, much more. Look for my web store soon at Zazzle. Get the link at victoriataft.com soon and put your favorite characters on shirts, mugs, masks, stationery. Mock your favorite leftist. Collect all 12 initial characters and make a calendar. Enjoy these unique and beautifully illustrated figures. Uh, Not the way they see themselves, but the way we see them. Editing, mastering, advertising, technical support, and understanding for the Adult in the Room podcast with Victoria Taft is by 1Acast. The music is gospel by the March 4th Band of Portland, Oregon. Music for the case of Mike Strickland is Ride or Die by RC, and it is used by permission. Find RC on all social sites at Raps by RC, Apple, Spotify, YouTube, and Instagram at Raps by RC. Imaging for the Adult in the Room podcast with Victoria Taft is by 1A Cast. Logo by Hageman Creative. Find him on Instagram. Photo of Victoria Taft is by Hilly Collective. The Adult in the Room podcast is produced by Flamingo Road Studios. All rights reserved.